Let's go to Luke chapter 5, and uh, we're going to continue in our study through the gospel of Luke. Last week, if you were with us through the series, you understand that we talked about the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Saw that wonderfully demonstrated there in in, uh, Luke chapter 4. We saw the power of his doctrine. We saw the power that Jesus exercised over demons and disease, and the result was that the people were just blown away. They were totally astonished. They flocked to Jesus. It began with the curious as the rumor about him, the text says, went throughout all the region. And then as people saw that the rumor was true, that people were being healed, that they were being delivered uh, by Jesus, the curious grew into crowds, and the roar of him has spread throughout all the region, and so it was, Luke chapter 5, verse 1, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. The lake of Gennesaret is the Sea of Galilee. There's synonymous terms there, not a saltwater body, but it's a, actually a freshwater lake. Um, interesting, it's about eight miles wide, or about eight miles deep, and it's about 13 miles wide sort of half the size-ish of the island of Catalina. Uh, really strange experience that I had there the last time I was in, in Israel. One of the members of our group, um, I, I can't remember, it might have been they had a diabetic condition or whatever, but for whatever reason it was in the evening and they needed food and there wasn't food immediately available. And I talked to the folk, folks at the front desk. I said, hey, listen, one of our groups, they, they need you know get their blood sugar up. Is there a place where I can go? And they said, well, yeah, McDonald's is just right down the street. And I said, well, can you explain to me where it is? And, and the gal says, go to that street, turn right, and when you, when you get to the lake, it's right there. I thought, great, McDonald's has ruined it. There's a McDonald's on the Sea of Galilee, on the shore of Galilee. And it's true. I mean, there's wave, people on wave, wave runners out there and everything, and you're thinking, just show me the fishing boat. I want to see Peter out here fishing. <clears throat> and... Um, and there's that as well. There's actually guys there that offer you very expensive boat rides out onto the lake. And then there's guys that offer cheap boat rides out on the lake. But once they get you out there, then they turn the engine off and tell you for a certain sum of money, they'll turn the engine on and bring you back. And so there are those guys as well. But picture the scene here. Jesus is at the, the Lake of Gennesaret. He's at the Sea of Galilee. He's got his back to the sea and he's got his face front face you know, facing, his front facing, a sea of people. And basically, the crowds are so great at this point that the, the people, they're literally pressing in on him. Why? Because he's healing the sick, and he's doing this incredible work, and the people are in great need. If you've ever been a part of any sort of relief work, you've gotten kind of a taste of what this is like. Uh, several years ago, we went to uh, the island of Samar in the Philippines, and it was right after a typhoon, and we came into different barangays, which are the villages, and we would bring relief supplies, and we would be swarmed. People just be right on top of you, needing those relief uh, supplies. And so this is what's going on with Jesus, and, and, and it illustrates an important truth that that there is a pressing need for Jesus and for the healing and for the work that Jesus does. For these people in the Galilee region, you know, they're dealing with demons and with disease and with the desperate need of the power of God. And listen, nothing has changed. We desperately need Jesus. We desperately need the power of God today. 
Van praying up here and us lifting him up desperately needs the power of God, seeking, pressing in. Lord, I'm pressing into you. Uh, we, you know, the people dealing with, you know, desperately needing the power of God in their marriages or desperately needing the power of God in, in their battle with depression or with, with drugs or with alcohol or whatever it is. Just this desperate need for God's power. I think of a brother of mine here at the church who, who for years, you know, was, was like so many that they had a pressing need for Jesus, but they didn't realize they had this pressing need for Jesus. All they knew was that their pressing need was, you know, for, all he knew was his pressing need was for methamphetamine. And that was just everything that he ran after, running away from God for years and years and years. And his life just a, a train wreck and stealing from his family and, and just everything that you might imagine for a guy who's been addicted to meth for 12 years. But what happened is that he pressed into Jesus at some point. And Jesus delivered him. He's the only one that could deliver him and saved him and radically transformed his life. And today he's married. He's got kids. He's got a career. He's he's a different person. The Bible says if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And this is a picture of this guy's life. And And this is the radical power and transformation that's available in Christ. And this is This is demonstrated here, people pressing in. And because there's a pressing need, what we see is that Jesus presses us into service. Verse 2, and he, Jesus, saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets, and then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. At this point, Simon knew Jesus. We read that last week. Remember that Jesus stayed at Simon's house, at Simon's uh, imploring of Jesus, he healed his mother-in-law. And, and, of course, this is Simon who will become Peter, the, the, the apostle of God, and, and so on. But right now, he's Simon. And right now, he's a guy who, who you know, is, is, a, is a believer of sorts, but he really hasn't, you know, engaged. And what Jesus is doing here with Simon is he's going to call him to a deeper level of commitment. And that's important because that's what this lesson is entire about, entirely about. And, and, and what you need to understand What we're reading about here, this is, in fact, a descriptive event, but it is also a prescriptive event. It's descriptive in the sense that it's telling us a story that happened with Simon uh, about how Jesus gets into his boat and how he calls him into a deeper relationship with him. But it's prescriptive in the sense that the Lord wants to get into your boat and he wants to call you to a deeper level of commitment with him. Jesus said this in John's gospel. He said, by this my, <clears throat> my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now, now, when he says that you bear much fruit, that word much, it means literally much. It means many. It means great. It means often. In other words, the, what Jesus is saying, and he's talking to believers here, by the way. This is not a, a talking about, hey, you got to do something so that God is pleased with you and you can have a right standing with God. The Bible says you'll never be able to do that. On your best day, the greatest work you'll ever do is as filthy rags to God. 
means nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. Jesus is talking about people who, who you know, have, in, have received his forgiveness, have received the cleansing, forgiving work that he does. But Jesus says, look, if that's you, you can glorify God the Father. This is the only way. This is how that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples, that you're going to live out your faith. In other words, the idea here is that God expects every single disciple of God, of His, to glorify Him by going deeper and bearing much fruit. And so the, 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 the picture of the message today then is what can you expect in your life when Jesus calls you deeper? And not if, it's when. And by the way, today in the context of what we're studying, it's now. The Lord is, is getting in your boat right now. He's calling you to a deeper level of faith with him, a deeper level of commitment. And that's exactly what I want you to notice here. First two things out the gate. He gets into Simon's boat and he asks him to put out a little bit from the shore. Now, metaphorically, this is the same thing that Jesus does with us. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he stands up, he preaches a message. And in the context of preaching, he says to the people, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. You see, what happens is that God calls us and, and then we repent. And, and what happens is in the calling and in the repenting, Jesus takes residence in our hearts. He gets into our boat, the boat of our lives. And as he gets in the boat of our lives, immediately what he does is he imparts to us the Holy Spirit. He empowers us. And, and this empowering of the Holy Spirit, it's certainly for our benefit in the sense that, you know, we have the power to now live with Jesus Christ. But in also what happens is when he empowers us, it's for the benefit of others that we can live for Jesus Christ and that we can live for his people, that we become available to him. We, this is what we see in Colossians chapter 3. I'm not going to have you turn there, but basically the short version is there in Colossians chapter 3 in the first five verses, we see that, that there's these major doctrines that are addressed there. The doctrine of justification and sanctification and glorification. And basically, in a nutshell, what, what Paul tells the Colossians and us is that when you're saved, God justifies you. And then you also receive this inheritance to where when you go to heaven, you're going to be glorified together with God. And it's this incredible promise of, of what we have. But a lot of people live their lives just wrapped up with that theology. With the idea that, hey, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. I'm justified and I'm going to be glorified. But Paul goes on to say, he says, look, no, no. What happens then is that there's a therefore to the equation. And the therefore the equation is that there's stuff in your life if you're saved and if you're going to be glorified together with the Lord, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, then there's, then there's work that Christ wants to do in you and through you. If it was just about being saved and going to heaven, the minute you said the prayer, he'd be like, let's go, and he'd take you out, you know? And it's not that way. He leaves you here because he's got work for you to do. He's got work in you and through you. He wants to continue to do that work through you, that work of sanctification, that $10 Christian word which simply means to be set apart, 
to be set apart from sin to God for the works that God has prepared for you to do. Paul said this to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2.10. He said, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, should be in the operative word, because we don't always do that. But listen, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live for the Lord. This is why Paul tells the Colossians, hey, therefore, there's stuff that you need to put to death. There's stuff you need to put off. There's stuff that you need to put on. There's stuff that you need to press on in so that I can do this continued work. In other words, you got to put out a little bit from the shores what you got to do. It's not just about the goodies. It's not just about I said the prayer and I got the fire insurance. It's about I received Christ and I belong to him. And so Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I think it's significant. He doesn't just say redeem time in general. He says redeeming the time, like a specific, fixed, and definite time. The idea being that we are to walk our Christian walk with our head on a swivel so that we don't get sidetracked by the evil stuff, but that we walk looking for those divine appointments that God has for us. Again, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have what is known in legal terms as a duty to act. You have a duty to act. Medically, if, you know, back in the days when I was a paramedic, licensed paramedic, when I was on duty, I had a legal duty to act. To act. That means that if I'm on the engine crew and we go down to the grocery store to get something for dinner and I'm walking through getting all the stuff and, you know, somebody collapses in front of me, I can't say, bummer for you, pal, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. No, I have a duty to act. And if I don't act, I'm derelict in that duty. And in, in the same token, this is the way we as Christians are supposed to be. We have a duty to act. We have this responsibility. Luke goes on to underscore our duty to act in Acts chapter 1, by the way. Luke writes this gospel of Luke, and then he writes the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, as he's introducing what he's about to write through that epistle... He he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, the person he's writing to, he says, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. When he references the former account, he's talking about here. He's talking about Luke's gospel. And so what he's saying is, yeah, I, I talked about in Luke's gospel of all that Jesus Christ began both to do and to teach. And the implication of the word began is what? That it continues. If he began the work, the work has to continue. And what he goes on to articulate through Acts chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ's work continues through you, through me, through people. This is how it is designed to be. James put it this way, James 1.22, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we are called to be doers of the word. 
We are called to continue what Jesus Christ began both to do and to teach. We have a duty to act and we have the obligation to walk with our head on a swivel looking for the specifically appointed opportunities that God gives to us. And I would just ask you to be willing to prayerfully ask at this point in an open hand, Lord, what's the opportunities that you're putting in my path? What's the opportunities, God, that you've put in my path? Because back in Luke chapter 5 here, it says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, as Jesus, to hear the word of God, he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. They're pressing in on him. He's back to the sea. And what's he do? He sees two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. I want you to see the picture. These are boats. Metaphorically, these are lives. These are lives that are available for the master's use. You're a boat, you're a life, you're a vessel available for the master's use. And he looks at them and he gets into, it says, one of the boats, which was Simon's. He knew exactly whose boat he was getting into. He chose Simon's boat. He says, today I'm getting in Simon's boat. Through the preaching of this word today, Jesus is getting in your boat. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. So what can you expect when Jesus calls you to go deeper? If you're taking notes, write down my first point. All of this is preamble leading up to this. Write this down. What can you expect when Jesus calls you to go deeper? That you'll be put out. You will be put out. Look, Jesus gets into Peter's boat, and you know, what, what, what's happened, he's worked all night. He's going to tell us that a little in, a, in the next verse, or a couple of verses later, it, that, that he worked all night. And that's how it went in these days, you know, that the, the fishermen, they, they, they caught fish at night. They didn't catch them during the day. Peter's got the night shift. He's worked all night. He caught nothing. By the way, every time the Bible talks about Peter fishing, it says he caught nothing. Um, but, uh, I, you know, unfortunate for him. But he, he made a living at it. He's a commercial fisherman, and the guy's tired. Now, um, you know, some of y'all have owned a boat, or you have owned a boat, or you knew somebody that owned a boat, and something that's ubiquitous when it comes to boats and you going on them is what comes at the end of the day. What comes at the end of the day? You got to clean the boat, right? Everybody loves going out on the boat. Nobody likes cleaning the boat. I used to tell my kids, it's like, okay, look, we're going to go out on the boat, that's fine, but at the end of the day, it's all hands on deck. You're going to clean, and then they would bellyache about it, and inevitably, I'd be doing it myself, you know. So the, the boats are sitting there on shore. I think it's implied that they've cleaned their boats, and now what are they doing? They're cleaning all their gear. And now Peter, all of a sudden, he looks back, and he's like, are you kidding me? There's these muddy footprints up the side of the boat that I just cleaned, And here's Jesus, hey, let's go out, you know, kind of deal. Now, this this is the picture here. Maybe I'm taking some liberties with it, but the, the fact of the matter is that serving Jesus isn't something that you do when it conveniently fits into your schedule. How many of you discovered that sometimes Jesus is requiring stuff on you that's inconvenient at an inconvenient time? You're like, really, seriously, you're calling me right now? Like, you couldn't have called me, like, you know, when it was daylight. It's not something you do when it, when it conveniently fits in your schedule. I think about where we're going to go here in about four, four chapters from here, Luke chapter 9. 
Jesus sends out his disciples, sends them out two by two. He's getting them ready. He's training them, grooming them for when he's going to, uh, you know, rise, uh, you know, in, in, from the dead and go to heaven and leave his disciples to do the work. And so he's preparing them, go out two by two, preach the gospel. And, uh, and you guys know what it's like when you serve. How many of you have, uh, have served in VBS? Let me see in our VBS here. Okay, so lots of you. So you know that you come and you serve. Your day starts, oh, dark 30, and uh, you get off at about noon, and you, at that moment, just want to die. You're just gassed. You're tired. I may have lost my salvation. I don't know. Don't talk to me. I need something. I need a nap. I need something to eat. And by the end of the week, it's just, you know, there is nothing left. But something magic happens. You watch Jesus move, and you watch him work, and you watch Pastor Darius give an invitation, and you just see hundreds of kids coming to know the Lord, and your heart is just full. It's just like, this is amazing. And this is what happens. This is what we see in Luke chapter 9, that he sends them out, and they come back, and they're all pumped, man. Everything that happened, but they're also tired. The end of that week, man, you, you just want a nap, you know, and you're whoopee, in a, in a little just safe spot that you can go. It's a lot of work. And Jesus says, he recognizes, he goes, hey, let, I can take you guys on a retreat. I can take you on a break. Let's go. And they get in the boat, and all the people are there that they've been serving, you know, just sucking them dry. Let's get away. So they go across the lake, and what happens? They cut the corner of the lake, and everybody runs around, and they're all waiting for them when they get off the boat. And they're like, you again? Are you serious? And so the, the disciples get all spiritual at this point. They're like, Jesus hey, they need stuff to eat, and they're, this is a deserted place, and, and uh, send them away. And what does Jesus say? He says, you feed them. Suck it up, buttercup. Like, there's work to do, and, and I've called you to do it. Serving Jesus isn't something that we do when it's convenient. You will be put out. Jesus will show up, and he's going to give you the invitation to serve him, and you have to recognize are you available for him or not? See, listen to what Jesus said. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. I'll put it on the screen for you. Jesus said, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No. His master says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat, and then you can eat later. And does, Jesus asks, the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Oh, thank you so much for working all day in the field and now serving me my dinner. No, of course not. He says, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who've simply done our duty. Jesus said that. Here's what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this section of text. He said, there's always something that we can do to serve our master. And there is always some way that we can do it. If you cannot go out plowing, you shall go down into the kitchen and do some cooking. And if you cannot feed the cattle, you shall bring up a dish of food for your master. This is a change of work for you. You're used to doing this other thing. Now he's asked you to do this. He says, but you are to keep on as long as you live. In other words, here's the point. There are always needful opportunities for disciples to serve. There's always a needful opportunity for you to serve. People who need your care, needs that have to be met. Or how about this? How about people you have to forgive? You're like, man, I've just been working and I've done all this great stuff, Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, but you, but you're, you won't forgive that person. 
you got anger and bitterness in your heart. There's still work you can do. Yeah, you've been working out in the field, but how about now? How about this? There's works of faith that need to be done. And they're hard, but Jesus says the attitude of the disciple is, God, your pleasure before mine. God, your people before me. God, it's your name before my name. This is, this is the point here. Second thing we noticed here in our text, not only is it that you know, serving Jesus is going to put you out, but secondly, when you serve Jesus, you will be required to yield. Verse, verse 4. It says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and he said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Interesting, by the way. Hey, you're going to be put out. I need your boat for a minute. I'm using your boat to preach to people. But in the process of being put out and letting the Lord use your vessel, as he works through your vessel, as so often is the case, he starts speaking to you. You know, so often I'll be teaching the word, I'll be putting together a sermon, and I'm thinking, oh man, this is going to hit people right in the gut. Oh, this is awesome. And then God will hit me right in the gut, you know. And so here's what he says. He says, man, you know, Peter, now it's your turn. Launch out into the deep. And this is always the way with God. You know, he's like, hey, I'm calling you to, to follow me. And so you take a step. And he just gives you that step. He puts it right in front of you. Okay, take this step. All right, I'll launch out a little bit from the shore. Okay, now let me take you into the deep water. You know, and you're like, no, I like it here on the shore. This is cool where I can touch. You know, and then Jesus says, no, I'm going to take you into the deep water, you know. Now, keep in mind, Peter is a commercial fisherman. And he could have said at this point, hey, carpenter. Mind your own business, because I'm the commercial fisherman here. You might not know it because I didn't catch anything last night, but this is what I do. And, you know, he could have said, hey, you know, this is how it goes. In fact, he kind of alludes to that. Look, we fished all night. We caught nothing. Telling you, they ain't biting today, Lord. And, you know, again, what was their method? They fished in the the shallow water with with a net. That's how they caught the fish. And Jesus is telling them, now what I want you to do is I want you to work in, in a way that is contrary to all human wisdom. I'm going to require you to do something that requires faith, and it's not according to what you can see, because that's what comes naturally to us. When we serve the Lord, we have a tendency to walk by sight and not by faith, so often. If you're like me and you're a control freak, you want to walk by sight. You want to be able to engineer what you can engineer. You want to be able to connect all the dots. And so often, God's like, eh, it's not step one, it's not step two, it's step Z, you know, then you hadn't even thought about it. I think about the disciples, you know, which one of these two do you want to replace Judas? And he's like, you know, here, Jesus, we're, we're, we're waiting, and you've told us, you know, there in, in Acts chapter, chapter one, you know, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, and so we're waiting, and we're not going to do anything, but you know, we could replace Judas, so let's do that. And, you know, we'll select these two candidates. We'll make it easy for you, Lord. This guy or that guy? And the Lord's like, no, how about Saul? Let's go with him. Now, they would never have picked Saul. Why? 
Because Saul was killing Christians at the time, kind of inconvenient to pick him as a replacement of disciple. You go, well, that kind of doesn't fit the bill, you know. Imagine Peter, I know, let's pick the guy that's murdering Christians right now. He'd make a great disciple. They'd be like, are you high? What are you smoking? Are you kidding? This is not going to go down. Right? And, and so we always, you know, we, we want to engineer stuff, and God, he does what he does. And he says, I, my ways aren't man's ways. You think about Samuel when he went and, you know, he was called by God to go pick the replacement for King Saul. And, uh, and so he, he, God tells him, go to the house of Jesse. He goes to the house of Jesse, and there he is. And he sees Jesse's sons, and he sees Eliab, the firstborn. And this guy, Samuel looks at him, he's like, oh, for sure, this is the dude. Man, look at him. He looks like a king. And, and they, you know, they go through all the sons, and none of them, God, God keeps saying, nope. That's not him. That's not him. And finally, Samuel's like, well, don't you have any sons left? And they're like, well, yeah, there's the runt of the litter, David. He's out sneaking up the field with the sheep, you know. Samuel's like, well, bring him in. See, God spoke to Samuel's heart when he's looking at Eliab, when he's going what, the way that seems right to him. He goes, this is the guy. God's like, I don't look at the outward appearance. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And so, so we need to keep in mind that when God calls us, when he gets into our boat and he calls us to put out a little bit and to be put out, then he's also going to require us to yield to him as he does things that we don't expect because his ways aren't man's ways. See, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And above all else, discipleship is a walk of faith where you learn to trust God and not walk by sight. Now, I had to practice that here when God called me to plant this church. I'm like, why? Like, I already planted a church. And there's, you know, God blessed it abundantly. Why, why, why would I ever want to leave? God's like, because I told you to. Well, where am I going to go? I'm not telling you right now. All right. See, I had to make a decision. It's like, you know, am I going to... Am I going to yield and walk by faith, or am I going to try and engineer and walk by sight? You're going to have to do the same thing. If God's going to get in your, vo- your boat, and if he's going to call you to a deeper walk with him, which he is today, we've established that, then you've got to be willing to let God be God. Third point of application here, we see it in verses 6 and 7, you're going to need others for this venture of faith that God's called you to. You're going to need others. Look at what he says there. When he'd done this, when Peter launched out into the, into the deep, obediently to the Lord, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Pause right there. Just give me your attention for a minute. It says they caught a great number of fish. Who's the they? It's Peter and Jesus. How cool a picture is that? See, Jesus doesn't tell Peter, hey, tell you what, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch, and uh, go get them, brother. I'm going to go get some breakfast, you know? You'll do great. It's going to be awesome. He doesn't say, you know, that's fine. Go on and uh, I'll watch you from shore. No, he goes with him. God is going to go with you to this venture of faith he's called you on. He'll go with you. And there they are. And they let down the nets. And, you know, this great number of fish is caught. The nets are breaking. There's so many of them. Verse 7, and so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. That's a good day of fishing right there. 
when you get so many fish that both the boats begin to sink. I'll tell the short version of this story, but you know, when we planted this church, it was full-on adventure of faith, you know, just a handful of people in my living room and just, to, just okay, God, what do you want to do? We named it Reliance because it's like, if you don't show up, we're sunk. You know, we're relying on you, God. And, uh, and God, just, do, just doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think, and he's adding daily to the church such as should, should be saved, and we're just so grateful. But man, we got to a place to where our nets are breaking. And providentially, during this time, he places us in this, in this neat relationship with this little church called Temecula Community Church. And, and we now, we're doing Awana at their place and, and all of this stuff. And I just felt like the Lord was bringing us together. And God laid this section of scripture on my heart. And I and met with their elders and their pastors. They came over to my house, barbecued them some hamburgers. We just sat down and talked. And I read him this scripture, and I said, listen, here's, here's, what I, here's what I would say to you guys. All I know to say to you is that Jesus has gotten into our boat, and our nets are breaking. And we see you as our partners in the gospel. We have the same doctrine. We have the same love for Jesus and his people. We're in the exact same area in the same city. And do you want to come join us so, so that we can fill up both the boats with, with a catch and just see what God would do? And to God's glory and, and fruit to their account, they made a very courageous decision to do that. And we came together, and, and God has, has done that. And, and now, you know, because of this courageous decision to join God in the work that he was doing, I mean, you know, we've, we've got our building now being built on, on TCC's property. And in June, by God's grace, we're going to move in there and have, you know, this, this base of operations where we can... By his grace, go out and bear more fruit. And the, the whole point is that you need others, man, as, as the Lord gets in your boat and as he moves and as he works. And, and uh, just by way of, of one random point of application, I trust the Holy Spirit doing a point of application in this, but you know, it's not lost on me. We've got these two missions opportunities coming up in August. Taking, taking a team to go to Ireland, taking a team to go to Panama. And... And, you know, the work that needs to be done, we can't do it without this team. You know, especially the work that's going on in, in, in Ireland, man. I mean, it's like we're, we're going into Dublin, and it sounds great. Hey, vacation. No, it's, it's like there's a work that it's needful work. There are people going to hell, and we're going to be ministering to kids that are living in inner city conditions. We're going to be ministering to, to a number of kids who, who, are, who are Muslim who don't know Jesus, who are going to hell, and when God's given us this invitation to go, and, and without others joining in the work, that the, there's not a harvest that we are going to see God, God work through us to do. He'll, he'll do his work, but he's inviting us to do it. And so when Jesus calls you to go deeper with him, which is the whole idea here, you will be put out. You will be required to yield and you do need others. We need to, we're all in this together. My fourth point is that you're going to be humbled and you're going to feel unworthy in the process. Look at verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, saw Jesus' miraculous work is what he's talking about. He's talking about this great number of fish. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. These are the guys that were in the other boat who came out. They're all shocked. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. What's going on here? Peter is humbled and he feels unworthy. And, and I can relate. I don't know about you. I mean, Peter's contribution to this whole thing so far has been, tried it in my own strength, got nothing, totally gassed, maybe copped a little bit of an attitude. Hey, would you push it, put out a little bit from the shore? I don't know. I'm taking liberties with that. But, you know, I put myself in that. I'm thinking, I worked all night. Good grief. Now you get, you know, now you're in my boat. And then Jesus gives him this invitation. He's like, oh, come on, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Like, hey, we've already done that. We've already done everything, you know. And so now he's like, he sees Jesus do what he does. And he's like, why do you even, why am I even here? I'm such a blow it. Like, I, I didn't even believe you could do this. Paul told Timothy this. He said, this is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Here's the point. Get over yourself. If you want to say you're unworthy, I agree. I'm unworthy too. Ain't one of us worthy. And we, we want to sit there, and the enemy doesn't help because he's like, well, you can't do that. Or something happens, and he's like, you can't take credit for that. No, you can't. Here's the thing. God is good, and you're not. Get over it. And he's called you to, to just, not for your ability, he's called you for your availability. That you would just simply say, okay, I'm, I'm, I belong to Christ. I've been bought at a price. He died on the cross for my sins in my place. And I recognize that I needed him enough to say, come into my life, but that means now you're a bondservant. You're bought at a price. God owns you. And it's his prerogative where he wants to use you. So if he says, hey, I'm calling you to go to learn how to lead a Bible study, and you're arguing, going, I've got no business teaching a Bible study, well, just agree with him. Yeah, you're an idiot. You've got no business. God's good. Go. You should hear my first Bible study. It's horrible. I hit it. So nobody would ever hear it again. You're like, well, hide this one. Anyway, so <laughs> look, get over yourself. You're unworthy, man. God just, he's going to do that work. It's not about you. So when Jesus calls you deeper, and he is, you will be put out. You will be required to yield. You will need others involved in the process. You will feel humbled and feel unworthy. Man, here's the final point. You must be willing to forsake all. You must be willing to forsake all. Look at what Peter says in verse 11. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. And that idea, that, that idea of forsook, it means to let go. It means to give up. It means to send away. Now, here, here's what I want you to understand. Forsaking didn't mean that Peter didn't have stuff. 
You get the impression here that like he gave away his boat or sold it or whatever. You know, you'll see in John chapter 21, there's actually a time when, Jesus, when Peter goes back to fishing. That's a whole other story, a whole other sermon. But he goes back to fishing. Well, how does he do that if he, if he got rid of all of his stuff? He didn't get rid of all of his stuff. It didn't mean that he didn't have stuff forsaking all. It means this. Listen, don't miss this. It means that his stuff didn't have him. That's what it meant. He forsook all. His stuff didn't have him. See, Jesus told a parable in Luke's gospel. He said a sower went out to, see, to sow his seed. And, and he, he, he talks about, you know, some fell on, in, on hard ground, some fell on, you know, the path, some fell in good soil and so on. But he, but he says some fell among thorns. And he says, and the thorns sprang up and they choked out the seed. And then a little later he was explaining to his disciples what he was talking about as he told that parable. He said, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, they go out and are choked with cares, with riches, and pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. See, the point is that Christianity is not merely a belief system, guys. It's a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is one of contributing. It's not of consuming. It's not just all about, what do you got for me, Jesus? It's about, you own me. Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And so we close here this morning. My my question for you, my encouragement to you, has Jesus gotten in your boat? Have you recognized that you are lost without the person, the work of Christ. That you need to be forgiven of your sins and that the only forgiveness is available in Christ who died for your sins. And if you've done that, if you've asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior, if he's gotten in your boat, does he possess your vessel? Are you willing to be put out? Are you willing to exercise faith?